Hey, you have a breakfast? Andy loves these little introduction oh, things that he's supposed to do. He's playing at the beginning. So we talk about Amazon. Kevin's here. Kevin talk goes. Uh, Kevin, I mean, I have you on because you, you really have lots of good thoughts. And Thank so, you. Sometimes they're racing thoughts. They're racing thoughts. They've slowed down a bit as of late. But yeah. there's some fun stuff about in, in this podcast. I think it, well, I hope so. It was fun for me, but I think it might draw drawn on drown on kind of theologically. We kind of wax poetically about things that made sense to us. Yes. And may not have even been relevant or true, but yeah. You know, if someone can get through this, more power to them. Yeah, it's fun. It was fun. And uh, don't do online shopping. Go to the store and get a, get your dopaminergic rush. That's right. And uh, yeah, you know, and we, we talk about yeah Amazon and Vladimir uh, coffee, Fatmir coffee, Eastern European Eastern, culture. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. We talk about Andy Stanley. It's good stuff. By the way, dopaminergic means liberating activated by or involving dopamine or related substances of course i didn't think you made up that word you didn't <laughs> i did i did, did. Oh, yeah. anyway well enjoy it man all right have a good one So, welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. This is Eric Seepin from the Village Church, and there's no Andy today, but I do have Kevin, uh, who's been a guest host before, and we got high ratings when you were on. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. From the six people who listened? Uh, from the seven, uh-huh. in particular from our favorite fan, David Crawford. David liked the show? You know, he thought you were hilarious. I didn't, David doesn't tell me these things. Yeah, David doesn't tell you. You have to be on the inside of David's inside circle to know these things. You know who's a big fan of the show is Guy Crawford. Yes. So that's two physicians that listen to this show. Right. We should probably do some medical right. stuff. Right, do a medical segment. <laughs> like, here, well, my grandfather, who I probably shouldn't have said it's my grandfather, but this isn't a big deal. You know, when we did Talking Culture, I used to name my, like, some people in my family... And not in, in very innocuous ways and positive ways. And my parents would be like, "You really shouldn't be naming your family on the air. It could get ugly." And I was like, "I don't think that that matters at all." But anyway, I'm going <laughs> to name another family member. I won't name him. But he he's a doctor of some sort. Yeah. Well, he's a he's a retired neurosurgeon. Wow. Which you know is one of those that could be considered basically that's the top, right? You you. Cutting someone's brain open and you're saving their life. That's that is like that is the top. No offense to the Crawford physicians who are out there helping little kids and regular old people. Right. It's noble. (laughs) It's noble. They're gonna kill us. Yeah. But so anyway, my grandfather, you know, has his views on Jesus that would not be the ones that we would have, perhaps. Right. And one of his main contentions I've probably heard from him for 15 years, ever since I was a kid, was, okay, so Jesus is the Son of God. He came to the earth, and he came to, you know, he, for God so loved the world. Okay, so we've got this picture of a God who's really loving towards his people. And he sends Jesus, and, and even God describes himself as the great physician in the Old Testament, right? 
You didn't hear what I said, did you? I did, no, I'm paying, I'm not paying attention. I just looked at a person that walked in here. Yeah. We're, in, we're at Brewer's Bagels. We are at Brewer's Bagels, talking. Not at Exo Coffee in the Loft. Yeah, I'm not into hipster indie stuff. No, hipster indie. We're, we're low. Yeah. We're like the low people. Very low key. Well, anyway, no, so he's like, Jesus. if Jesus really loved his people, he would have introduced antibiotics. Can you imagine the amount of people he could have saved if 2,000 years ago he would have said, Oh, by the way, guys, uh, you know, here's just a simple thing like penicillin. Probably millions of people could have been saved from, from death. So that really points out his worldview that Jesus really should have come to prolong this physical life. Right. Nothing to say about any, any life after or right. any, any increase in spiritual wealth in this life. But it's one that he's made time and time and time again. And, Anyway, I don't know why we That's a, it seems like a very because doctors. It's interesting that antibiotics would be the, like the thing that he's right. <laughs> there's a lot of other things that he could have brought in too. Well, I'm assuming. Like what? Well, maybe he could have in, given somebody some great knowledge to uh, first surgery or just a sterile. <laughs> don't cut the guy's leg off until you cauterize the knife or whatever. Yeah. Or leeches. Or Leech, yeah. Actually, if he really wanted to push the Christian movement forward, he could have told Christians and Christians only from the beginning of sports betting, the outcome of every sporting event. That's true. We would have trillions of dollars, literal trillions, mm-hmm. and we could then we could buy God, you know, buy God whatever he wanted. Yeah, that, that's a good option too. <laughs> I was just thinking that if you think about how to go a more serious. Point, how many people Jesus did heal? Like that little period in Ju- Judaism in the first, you know, what, 30 years of Jesus' life, 33 years or whatever, I guess the last three years. That was three years. He healed a ton of people. There was a lot of healthy people in comparison to the before and after, right? Cause, how many people do you think he could have healed? Well, people would come to him and he would be doing it all day, it seemed like. Yeah. In certain scenes in Mark, anyway. And so. There had to be more than there were before, right? In those little towns. So, Pete, so Jesus was some. Well, so that's an interesting point. Like, it's not like he didn't heal people. No, you know, he did better than antibiotics. How so? Well, he could have done both. He yeah, could have said, right, "Well, after I leave you, you know, in John, I, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, and also my amoxicillin." My amoxicillin, and here's a storage unit full of it. Right. Keep it cool. Here's that, well, refrigeration. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think that was one thing that he mentioned. You know, but uh, yeah. So anyway, because we have doctors listening to us. Well, I don't even really think they listen. I think that they. No, maybe they do. I think they do because some of them make fun of me. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I know they listen. But anyway, yeah. moving on, uh, we're doing a shorter podcast today. We'll see about We'll that. see how that kind of plays itself out. <laughs> last, remember last time we... It went kind of long. Went, went on and on and on. On and on and on. And we were at the church, and so it's like an echo chamber. Yeah, so if you, you listen... will be better? No, it's much better. We got the new mics. I can edit everything. I can edit Yeah, we your, got these great new mics. That, so Andy's off this week. Was he off last week, too? No, no. He's in Oregon. He's in Oregon. A, well, not writing the book yet, but he's... He already gathering. told me he had eight chapters. Eight? Oh, so he must have... He's been writing, and this is the next part of the writing. He it, bought a Ford 150, an old Ford, then he's driving that. back. Yeah. He's yeah. driving that back. Yeah. See, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, you know... 
what is it called? The Little Man's Tale? The Story of the Yeah, Little something Man? like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a, it's about his dad who passed away six I, months ago. Now. Yes. Well, no more than that. Was it? I remember in... it's in, uh, Yeah, it was like in the fall. Yes. Because it was before our conference, so... Oh, the Village Conference. Yes. Does the Village have another conference this year? Uh, not this year, but we probably will next year. And is the same kind of... I think so. Happen? I don't. I don't know all the details. That okay. just hasn't been really worked out. Okay. Because we're you know going to that whole two service thing. Yeah. Have you guys been talking about that on the podcast? Uh, not at all, really. Okay. Because <laughs> Andy likes to talk about serious things. Serious things, right? Like Amazon coming. Oh yeah, you wanted to talk about that. Well, here's the deal. You know, the real boon for Tucson would have been if Amazon actually brought its headquarters here, right. and that isn't going to happen. No. So, you know, I a distribution center which is what they're calling it. Right. They're, which the article in The Citizen, well, The Citizen, listen to how old I think I am. Wow. <laughs> the star, The, the Citizen, of course, dead. hasn't been around. Did you get both as a, you know... We got were, The Citizen when I was a kid. Uh, it was the better newspaper. The yes. Two, for those who don't know, the Tucson Citizen and the Arizona Daily Star were competing newspapers. And then they, they merged and were both owned by, I think, Gannett News Source. Right. And they were put out by the same team... The Citizen was a little more conservative than the Star. Right. And, but so, they were both these liberal rags, according to conservatives right. here. That's true. Is that true? Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I remember the Citizen being like, yeah, if you were a conservative, that was the paper you read. Right. So the Star was for the liberals. Exactly. The Red Star is what we call it. The Red Star, exactly. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so the Citizen, in this, well, and the Citizen still, like, if you go to TucsonCitizen.com, I think it directs you to the. Arizona Daily Star website. Okay. Anyway, it died a slow death be- and a sad one because most of my box scores in high school and basketball were in the Tucson Citizen. Right, which we should talk about how you were a semi-small legend in Tucson <laughs> as a basketball should player. Should we talk about that? Yeah, after Amazon. We'll get okay, to that. Yeah. Well, anyway, so they didn't, they're not going to bring actual jobs here. They're going <laughs> to bring this distribution center, which in the Star article, it said, oh, and one of the benefits is going to be there's kiosks that you can go get your own stuff. You don't even have to wait. Well, that seems like something that they would want to do in every major city. Like, they, they're going to eventually... Amazon's going to, you know, the big... What is it? The big four. Right. Like Amazon, Google, Apple, and Netflix. I think, right. I think is, Are they the big four? Oh, my friend who's just a genius on it. I don't actually think... How, are you sure Netflix is a big four? Yeah, it is. Well, no, maybe it's not, actually. You're right. Netflix wasn't in there. Facebook. Facebook, Netflix. yeah. Uh, these, these things are taking over the world. Amazon, which this is interesting. What happened to eBay? Why did why did Amazon and eBay, you know, eBay actually had the lead early on. eBay was, the, I think, came on the scene yeah, first. And they was did. Huge. And people made livings off of eBay. Do you still think people do? Yeah, I think they, they do. They do, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But why is Amazon, uh, who knows, it seems like it's three to four or five times. Bigger. It's kind of like that Facebook MySpace thing. What happened? Why did Facebook take off even though it was second on the scene it's like how do you find out was it luck was it the name was it simply because the name Amazon's cool yeah well it also means that I get my packages fast so maybe that was what they did that eBay didn't want to adapt to I don't I don't know right well they're not really the same thing right I mean eBay I put something up on, on eBay and I sell it well that's true Amazon's, eBay started as a swapping site that's right yeah it's like a, a gigantic swap meet 
Oh yeah. Have you ever been to the Tankerbury Swap? I, I when I was younger. Really? The parents yeah. would take you? Yeah, my, my wife's parents would go. I mean that's it was a big thing in Tucson when you were little. It was there's there's nothing there's nothing to do in this town. Swap meet was a thing to do. What does that mean there's a thing to do? Everyone that comes in this tit city from outside of it's you know not everyone, but a lot of people, oh, you know, there's nothing to do here. Well, I mean, it was more small-towny when I was little than it is now. I actually think there's a lot to do now. Well, let's talk about those activities. People that usually we need to go into it, they say, well, there's no you know, there's no real good nightclubs. Ah, nightclubs. Is that the thing to do? That's a thing to do. You know, I think that's what people are talking about. Um, what, Deviate is not a good, good enough nightclub. Did you ever go there? No, but I know that the owner of that, I don't know if he still is, but he owned all the coffee exchanges, too. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, when Coffee Exchange closed on Campbell and Grant, that was a really sad day. Because that was, I think, I think the only 24-hour coffee shop in Tucson. And it was right by the University of Arizona campus. Right. And... Um, it was a great place. And then one day, they closed, and then they opened a... It's not a Lens Crafters, but it's like a Lesco. Right. Well, like, coffee exchanges couldn't compete with this, like, artsy coffee, or the the cartels and the exos. Crave the, seems to be doing just fine. You know, but, Crave? Yeah. But Crave has some of its own unique stuff. Like, for instance, they do know how to do a little bit of the art. They do artisan. great latte art. Yeah, so But they're, they're expanding good. both spectrums because um, they'll give you your... $4.82, 20-ounce black-and-white mocha, which is just sugar, espresso, and milk. Right. And this is what, you know, Starbucks kind of sold out and did in the eyes of these smaller, cheek, right. macchiato, only espresso and, and milk places. Yes. So they do both, and that's, I think, hugely beneficial for the bottom line because there's actually an attitude that um, Fatmir, the owners, work to create that's like, whatever coffee you think tastes good, you... You can drink, and we'll yes. make it for you. Yes. You know, if I can just tell a little story about... You, you can. That's why I have you on here, is because nobody... I don't know how many people really realize, like, you know, faith over breakfast is because of you. And so we have to have you well, on every so often to uh, to just... It's talk. because faith over breakfast is because of, one, breakfast, and two, because faith. Yes. So Jesus came right. in the flesh, was, <laughs> He's crucified, like, was crucified. Yes. And then, also, God created food as a part of our, somehow, uh, you know, I think food's a curse in some ways. It, it we is. We have to eat constantly. But it kind of reminds us of Jesus. It does. Well, when you talk about it, it reminds us of our dependence on yes. like We need to be constantly being sustained. Yes. But yeah, I'm, I also created it, so I'd like... Yeah, well, I mean, you got us together because you had this faith section on your radio show. And it was, well, it was Tuesday mornings. We'd have Andy yeah. and Eric on, and yeah. they would... We know we never got to talk much on the air, but we talked we a lot. We had the same conversation last time. Oh yeah, you, you so you get you do the uh, what's it called the bologna sandwich the, where you do compliment insult compliment. Yeah, yeah. Kevin, you're so great. You started this thing. Oh, by the way, you never gave us any time. Yep. I'm still angry about that. And then you'll finish off with no, but yeah, you you, you really did. right. Well, you see how I get my way. How'd you get your way? Well, that's just how I work. You know, I compliment you. You think, oh, Eric likes me. I tell you why you need to change. You're like, oh, he wants me to change. And then I remind you that you're a good guy. <laughs> no, it, it was interesting because the radio program, it's hard to have a lot of time to talk because you got the commercials, then you got the two hosts, and you're adding two more people that you want to have talk. Yeah. And so then you have four people offering their opinion. 
And I just, and we enjoyed the, you enjoyed, we all did the conversation beforehand over breakfast. So yeah, that, that was sounds, good. Well, I was so filled with anger and anxiety most most of those days because doing a daily show, as I talked about last time on this yes, podcast, this podcast. being tied to four 12-minute segments, roughly, that you have to queue in and queue out, and, and you're, you're live on the air, and right. you're limited by content. Like just a couple minutes ago, I was almost going to use a mild curse word, one of those ones that's accepted in most churches. You know, I didn't use it, but I could have, and it would it would have been okay. You know, you could edit it out. Yeah, I could. Well, we don't edit anything out. Well, then I guess I better be careful. But this morning I was on the way here, and I thought, oh, this sort of reminds me when I used to go to that radio show every morning, and, and you know, do it. But I don't have any of that anxiety. Because we could talk for six minutes today and realize we don't have anything to talk about. Let's turn off the right. the microphone and go and yeah, post it. Let me just pray, and you can just pray for me, and then we'll call it a day. Right. And nothing. It doesn't matter if I showed up to the radio station. You got to do it. You have to have an hour of content. Oh yeah. Right. And you got to deal with people who really are kind of adversarial to your show a little bit. So. Oh, well, right. Now, yeah, there was all kinds of things. Anyway, that's in the past. Yeah, we can move on. Forgetting what lies behind, we press on ahead. Which, can I just pause while you kind of eat your sandwich and say, we were talking about Amazon. We'll get back to that. Yeah, yeah okay. I wanted to talk about my coffee, though, because oh, oh, right, right. we've been coming here for, like, what, six to eight months? Yeah. Every other week, and it's great. Yeah. Um, anyway, they just introduced a new iced coffee flavor, coconut flavor. Yeah. I'd be try- well, are you off coffee? I'm, still? I've been off coffee for two and a half weeks now. No caffeine. Oh, it'd be two weeks. Oh yeah, you said you stopped on a Tuesday. Yeah, right. it's amazing. It is. I love it. You drinking hot tea this morning? Yeah, I just drink hot tea. It doesn't. It's fine. It's fine. I realize I just need something hot now. Like that's you know how when a smoker like quits and they have to find something to some habitual thing that. Well, replaces some, it, or sometimes some for smokers, it's just they, they just needed something masochistic. <laughs> right. <laughs> some kind of pain. Well, I mean, seriously, I, one, of my, one of the people who's in my life, you know, he doesn't know God, and he's just depressed, you know, and, and, and he's a smart guy, but he smokes, well, he probably smokes a pack every two to three days. Okay. But he can't quit, and he doesn't want to quit. And so, you know, we we were talking about um, suicide, which I was just reading a Times article yesterday, which was really poorly written. It was about marijuana usage and its side effects. And it yes. was, like, just very basic. But it gave you, it's like, hey, here's here's what we know about the side effects. And basically, we don't think it really harms your heart, kidney, lungs, uh, stamina, all these things. But what they've seen is it can have some issues with your mental health. Yes. Particularly psychosis, schizophrenia. And also, this is interesting, people who are heavy marijuana smokers report an increase in suicidal ideation. Interesting. Yeah. So this friend of mine is a heavy marijuana smoker, and he has a lot of suicidal ideation. He said almost every day he thinks about killing himself. Wow. And, you know, the concern that they look at, so in, in hospice care at least... I know. Which, by the way, you should, what you do for a living as a hospice person. Well, yeah, I, I'm a part of an organization, Agape Hospice, and you know, we help, ostensibly, we help people live or die well. Right. You know? yeah. So anyway, you were going back to hospice. I mean, what do we do in hospice care, marijuana? Well, so the social work team there, you know, we identify, and this is probably, state, you'd know more about this than I would, 
suicidal ideation really becomes concerning when they have means and uh, oh, that there's two things: means and a method. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like a plan. They have a, the, the a means and plan, a plan. Meaning, yeah. meaning, yeah, how would they do it and could they do it? Yes. Well, so this friend of mine doesn't really know how he'd do it, but he has them almost every day, which is interesting. That man, maybe, maybe smoking marijuana like heavily. All day, every day, for a couple of years, as it's been. I mean, it's really going to shape your brain chemistry in ways that we don't really know about. And suicide, suicidal thoughts could could be side effect. But one of them, I said, so, but you don't ever, you're not actually going to move on this suicide thing. And he's sitting there smoking a cigarette, and he's like, well, but I kind of already am. and happened. This right. is kind of my way of killing myself. Yes, smoking, yeah. That's oh, interesting. So in, in trauma therapy, you know... They talk about that when people who have had traumas to their bodies, they a lot of times use smoking to soothe that trauma by, if someone's already attacked my body and said, well, whether it's sexual or physical trauma, basically your body is a tool. It's a mechanism for someone else's either anger or enjoyment. So that's deeply ingrained in them. And so when they grow up and they have that pain, well, smoking's a way that kind of makes sense, actually. Well, my body's doesn't really have... It's not really um, sanctified. It's it's just a, a means to an end, and, and so we can abuse it in whatever way we need to. So anyway, anyway, a well, yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're I was going to tell the Fatmir story real oh, quick, yeah, and that. then go back to Amazon. <laughs> yeah. You know, Fatmir comes from Eastern Europe, and they have this reflection of of the Christ in ways that, like, our culture just doesn't. Our Western. I'm assuming it's relatively Catholic. Or Orthodox. Um, it was so they were they were they're actually probably more legitimately a Catholic nation than a Muslim nation um, because they were you know they're Albanian and <clears throat> then Turkey came in about a thousand years ago and said okay you're all Muslims now and everyone right. was like oh okay great and so there's a lot of lip service Muslim you know how we have these like Christians you know right. the numbers have changed over the years but basically we've thought about three quarters of the country might be a quote Christian right. right. And we think probably not even half that number is actually a, what right. we would consider a Christian. Well, their country is made up of a lot of, um, quote, Muslims who, you know, people in his family, even it's interesting, um, hold to the value system loosely. Right. And I'm like, isn't Muslim, isn't Islam something that you really, either you press, yeah. you take and you go, yeah, this is it. Or you, or say, you well, don't. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but anyway... Their culture is a very collectivistic culture, and mm. basically, if you're in, if you're in trouble, like if if you don't have any money and nobody has any money in Kosovo, uh, and you need something, you go to your friends and family and say, just like friends, people you've known and are in your life, say, hey, I need money to to get this car to have this operation on my tooth or whatever, and people don't ask questions; they just give you whatever money they have. Who knows where they got their money, but like there's a sense of togetherness. And if oh, if you if you have a need, the group's gonna help meet that need. So is there a lot of resentment then, or is it just something that they, at least from his perspective, that they buy right into? Well, I don't know. I've seen the fruit for many years. Like as an example, when we eat together. And this isn't any news to anybody listening that's, you know, had experience with kind of an Eastern um, culture. But, like, when we eat together, 
there's no single plates ever. It's always family style where there's, you know, like if we go out to eat, we'll get three or four entrees, and everybody's having a little bit of each one. And right. You know, have as much as you want as my food and, and vice versa because we're in this together. We, you know, we, have, right. we, we Americans, we, we order our own food. That's right. It's we don't my, share. I don't like I'll to share. I'll trade a fry maybe for yeah. some of that rice over there. I don't think anyone ever has I'll trade, trade a fry, fry for, for rice. rice. No. no. No, what is a good trade? Uh, I want a bite of your hamburger. You can have a bite of my yeah, fry. I don't know. No, no. Fries and, ham- fries and hamburgers aren't getting traded. Uh, uh, maybe like, well, I guess it's not as important. But it's happen- it happens a lot. Especially like kids. But I think even like we, we grow up and we're like, no, no, no. I ordered that. It's my plate. It's in front of me. And I'm going to eat it. Because I want every bite of it, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, that's not where they're coming from. And so we were talking the other day, talking to you and I, about how sometimes people come into Crave and they forgot their wallet. Or maybe they look like they're hard up or whatever. And they'll get in and they'll order some stuff. And then at the end they'll say, and usually it's pretty innocuous. They're not trying to get away with not paying, but they'll say, um, oh, I don't I don't have my wallet. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. And, and Farmer's like, that's fine. Uh, I mean, I'm going to give you, like, what, what do you want? Anything you want in this store, you can have. And you don't have to pay me back. They'll all say, I'll pay you tomorrow. He's like, you don't have to pay me tomorrow. Um, he's like, and what he said that I thought was interesting is he says, because I have coffee. You came here for coffee. Like, money is kind of this aside from that. Right, I've, I've set up a shop where I said, guys, come and get coffee. Right, right. And this currency stands in the way. I need to collect this from you where he's like, actually, he takes more pleasure in being like, no, no, no. Like, you want coffee? I have coffee. I'm not going to drink it all. You can have it. That, that's a really interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like, It's more Christian than uh, yes. us. <laughs> it is. There's some deeply gospel truths in his lifestyle and their in their culture and then there's things on the other end where hopefully you'd think that Americans don't have it all wrong you know and, um, you know and maybe we are reflecting the gospel in ways that they don't but that was just interesting to me and, and it's it is true like he you know I have coffee you, you wanted you came here for coffee you can have it so Amazon here's my problem with Amazon Really, what's your problem with Amazon? Well, you, I just want to say that Amazon is great because I get stuff like instantly. It's like I don't have to go to the store, I don't have to deal well, with people, I don't have to do any of those kinds of things. Instantly wouldn't be a uh, instantly. It's probably not. Wouldn't be the right way to say that. Because every few days I can get stuff. Well, you said, and you live in a community house, right? Which is the, an astounding fact in and of itself. It is that you guys at the village, two of the key families. Seven, 20 years ago, yeah. before the village was even formulated. 1998. Right, we're on a 20-year anniversary. Yes. Oh, is it really? Yeah, the September? Of the of moving into the... Are we talking about yeah. moving into the Seneca house? Oh, my gosh. We may have to throw a party. Because we threw a 10-year party, we may have to throw a 20-year party. I might have, like, a book of band and... We should, like, well, it's coming up. Four months to plan a... Yeah, I could do it. Okay. Yeah, you could. Invite the neighborhood. Will you really do something like that? Yeah. Well, when we first moved in, we invited the entire neighborhood to to a huge 
uh, engagement party and none of them even knew like the people who are getting engaged and like who's getting engaged Russ and Emily oh I was going to say yeah. yeah the naked wedding the naked wedding yes talked about that last time yeah that's right you preach to young children about how these two people needed to be naked with one another. Yeah, yeah. I was one of those young children. That's right. It freaks you out a little bit. But anyway, tell me what's wrong with Amazon. Well, you you and your community house, you guys get packages, you says, like every other day. Yeah, probably, pretty much. It's like Christmas every day. A couple things. You never know what you're getting. You can't try the, the darn thing on. That's true. Okay, right? And, and so like these sandals that I'm wearing, for instance... I ordered them. I thought they were good. They came, and they didn't really fit that well. And I was like, well, boy, I could have solved this pretty easily if I just went to the store and tried them on it. So that's been my main contention for years with online shopping is I actually don't know what I'm going to get. And the returning process is, it's kind of, now we're talking about this hassle in which, let's say on day one, you said, oh, I, want, I have an idea. I want this thing. Okay, I order it. It gets here tomorrow, the day after that, the day after that. I don't like it. I send it back. I get the right thing. That could be like a 10 to 14 day turnaround just to get one simple thing. So now your life is constantly lived in these periods of wanting and not having these things that you want. Right. Which leads me to the second reason that I don't like online shopping, and that is that I get this dopaminergic rush every time that I go to this. Dopaminergic, huh? Right. Anyway, uh-huh. Well, I, I, it's, some, it's, it's yes, something like yes, that. Yeah, you get a rush at least off of Facebook, so maybe you get off of shopping, too. I Right, right. You get this little, exactly right. When I'm feeling a little down, I'll, I'll pull, go to Facebook and say, oh, this this will pop, and it pops me up just a little bit, you know? Yeah. But with shopping, when I get an idea in my head that I want something, I say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this thing. Like, recently I bought those wireless Apple headphones. Yeah, I saw you. I bought, oh, my gosh. Kevin has gone, like, hipster. He has those little things hanging out of his ears, and he's, like, walking around like he's Mr. Cool. And I'm like, uh-huh. I know. I was doing that at church. You were. And I felt like, I was like, man, I bet. And I was being judged by people like you. It seems oh, like of course. I'm very judgmental. Like I actually thought it was pretty cute. But. Well, I only had one in. Right. And you were working. I was on call. This yeah. is the thing. Like I was on call for the hospice. And you don't want a little thing hanging down. Not in church. Connected to the dongle. No. Well, I got those headphones. And they're they're actually pretty good. Yeah. But most of the excitement in getting those was being able to get it immediately yeah. like, when I wanted it. So right. they actually are really hard to get because they get shipped to Target. Someone actually here on Amazon, someone will buy up the entire shipment from Target and sell them on Amazon immediately. So they get shipped to Target and then the same day, within a couple hours, they're gone from Target. Walmart doesn't get them. Um, the really two places that will get them... Oh, stop, stop, stop. So they get shipped to Target and follow this and then Amazon buys them all? I think it's someone from Amazon okay. that's buying them. Goes in and buys them all. Yeah. So then they have like a mon- monopoly in that city on on that particular earphone. Yeah, the I only know, place they're very can. popular and they're limited supply and wow. so somebody scoops them up from Target in the store and then sells them online. And uh, so then it's hard to get them at Target. Really hard. Gotcha. You can get them at the U of A bookstore but I called uh, about five months ago and they, they were out. They didn't have any. And then when I called about a month ago when I got them 
Um, they said, yeah, we have some for the first time this semester. And this is late April, mid to late April. And they're just now getting their first. So he said, this is the first time we've had a supply on the shelf. And I was like, I'm coming down there today. The other place you could probably get them is the Apple Store at right. Montana. Okay, so when I was looking five months ago, I really wanted them. I really did want them. And I could have ordered them online to be shipped even like two days later. Right. But I was like, no. Part of the deal is I get this reward today. I get this dopaminergic rush from the actual purchase. I got it, you know? Interesting. And so that's part of the in-person shopping experience for me that it's right. an instant gratification. Yeah, interesting. And I don't get that with online. There's a waiting period. There's patience, right? Uh, and I don't do well see, with but I don't. I don't like to go to the store and interact with people. And I prefer, and I can actually have more of a rush going and, and kind of privately looking through what I want, thinking about Online? it. Uh huh. But and then, again, you don't really know what you're getting, right? I've never been disappointed because I don't buy shoes. You've never been disappointed no. with an online decision? No. Because, well, not off of Amazon. Wow. Because I don't buy shoes and I don't buy clothes. I only buy books. It's not that hard. I buy well, yeah, that's musical equipment, which I know what I want, and I buy electronics, like Game Boys. Um, what was the last? So I, we bought a uh, MP3 player for Elliot. Oh, what kind of MP3 player? Just one that he can run around with some music on it. Oh, cool! They still make MP3 players. So. Yeah, they do. And since he can't have a phone, and he wants to listen to music and play basketball, and so Elliot's twelve now. He's twelve. When's he going to get a phone? Uh, when he rides the bus. Okay. Ashton has a phone. Yes, Ashton. She's almost 17, though. So. Well, I don't know. I didn't have a phone until I was, you know, 17 and a half. Yeah. I, for us, it's like once you're on the bus and riding around town, I kind of want to know where you're at. Yeah. So you do the tracking? Yeah, we, we do. And that was partly because she was headed downtown every day. Yeah. And so... Yeah, that's I mean, I think if you were headed up to Rincon, which is, you know, it's not that far, I wouldn't really care, but downtown's kind of sketchy. want to know where she's at. So. Yeah. Well, so those are my problems with Amazon. It's also fascinating, like, how how in the world does it work? Because well, well, maybe you know. Wait, I don't know, but ADD, let's go all the way back to kiosks. Right. You told me, that the, and I saw the article, I haven't read it, that it may not bring jobs at all? No. No, the article said it's going to bring 1,500 jobs. Oh, okay. Here, you go, whoa, whoa. But are these, these aren't high-paying jobs. More than likely, there's going to be... Yeah, they're 13 so to $15 an hour jobs. Right? Probably. And you get... But if you want to get in shape, I hear that's the job to get. Because you run all day. My little brother had uh, that job, and he lost like 15 pounds. Really? Yeah. Your older brother? Little brother. In, in, uh, I don't Wesley. have him. Yeah, Wesley. You don't have an older brother. In Cleveland, Ohio. Or not Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Tennessee. Jesus is kind of, he says, I call you my brother. Yeah, so he's my older brother. Yes, yeah. I got Jesus as my older brother. Can we, we, let's make a huge transition and talk about a particular sermon that sure. I had you listen to by uh, Andy Stanley, where he says that we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because Paul and Peter and James actually did that. They, they had a meeting, they had a, a moment. And they said, we, we need to undo this. And he even uses the letter that they then send to the churches as evidence of that, where he talks about them giving a little bit of a concession. Don't, don't eat meat that's sacrificed to idols. Stay away from sexual immorality. 
and well, it's, it's basically one? a lot of food, a couple food rules, and and uh, and abstain from sexual morality. Yeah, don't eat, don't eat the meat. I think from strangled, strangled animals, animals. Don't drink the blood. Right. Don't eat an unclean animal, and also flee from sexual immorality. Yeah, yeah. No. And he argued that that was a kind of a concession because James says we know that in every city there is Jewish people who read the Old Testament on, on Sabbath. And that it was a concession to all the Jewish Christians who are going to find it extremely difficult. Well, and he also argued that there was a higher law that Paul was arguing um, that was about treating. Uh, people as image bearers and people who were potential um, vessels of the Holy Spirit, and and so that was kind of that trumped the Old Testament. Well, unity was the word he used. He said, "This is not about following the law. This is about promoting unity." And he felt like these early, what what they called circumcised Christians, um, Jewish Christians, right. were really going to have a hard time not continuing in their dietary ways. And so he was like, okay, Gentiles, come in, come on in, and, like, we're going to work this out. But if you guys could just, like, like, just accept the food stuff for now, like, and we'll work with that moving forward. That'll unify the body. Right. And then secondly, the image-bearing part of sexual morality. Well, that'll actually, and then also that, that'll promote unity in the body. Like right, word. right. And, and I really liked what he said about how sexual morality, at its core, is, like, you just, so what does that mean? Because it could mean... He, he said, if I asked everyone here to write on a three-by-five three note card, what is sexual immorality, he's going to get a lot of different answers. Right. So what's a core answer could be treating others with, with value, loving other people, seeing your brother and your sister as having inherent value and saying, okay, I'm about you, what's best for you? And now all of a sudden we're not trying to gratify our own desires, but we're trying to, you know, seek to right. honor one another right. and then so and that's interesting because I I think that's Acts 10 or 11 where where they're writing I think it's Peter writing to the church James it's James yeah well it's the whole it's the group council that gets together yeah and I've always read that and I was like that's like a weird three to pick and I know, I, you know. <laughs> you're like okay and people have made lots of rules to live their life by by those by that letter Really? Yeah, but my brother stopped eating pork because of that. Does he still eat pork? Um, I hear that he's kind of your brother too. My brother, one of, and I have three of them, so I'm not. I only have two, yeah. so it's fifty percent chance. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have four brothers. What, the, what am I saying? I have four brothers. Yeah. Weird. Anyway, he doesn't eat pork now, and it's, I hope he someday. But, but you're saying that, yeah. That. Yeah. Okay, so this is so. I liked Andy's. There's a three-part series called, we just had it. Uh, Aftermath. Aftermath. And it's recent. Yes, and very recent. I would recommend it, anybody to go listen to it. It was like a total pleasure. You know, you kind of get lost in, sometimes sermons can be like, so he's a very good storyteller. He is a good storyteller. Which I think helps as a pastor where he, was, he wasn't telling stories out from his own life. He did that. And actually he didn't do that part very well. But he made... The events of Acts and the events yes. of the gospel. I would agree. In story form. He does a really good job of making the Bible come alive. Not so yeah. good at telling stories from his own life. Like they don't right. seem as interesting or as well told. But yeah, which is interesting. 
right there, but he, very warm um, kind of personality. He kept doing this thing I've never seen a pastor do. It's over the, there's three in this Aftermath series, there's three roughly 40-minute videos you can go on, and, and I, I actually watched number three first because that's what you sent me, and then I watched one and two. So actually, I, the, mat, the sequence probably doesn't matter, but he kept saying, eyes up here, now look up here. So he'd be like in the middle of a point, mm-hmm. and he'd be about to make a point, another point, like a big point. And he would say to the congregation, eyes up here. Like, where do you think they're looking, Andy? And it, I don't think it was a response to like everyone in the crowd just like kind of looking off and not being interested. I think it was his way of saying like, your eyes are up here, but pay attention to this point that I'm going to make. Did you notice him do that? Yes. No, I, I mean, I, one of the things that I have learned about speaking when it comes to standing and sitting and the way you structure your sermons uh-huh. I learned a lot from Andy Stanley really um, I have attempted to practice some of them and just how, how to structure sermons and you've been watching Andy for longer than just a week yeah probably like two years I read his book on preaching he's written a lot of books yeah they're I mean they're not deep or no no I don't sense that they would be but sometimes Andy can have some really interesting insights that you, that other people just don't well, have and this could this is potentially one of those right now I just I think people's concern is on the word unhitched and also that he maybe he's kind of going back to some older heresies where um, what's it called Mark Marciapano Mark Marcioni uh, yeah yeah well, it basically says the God of the Old Testament is not the same God as the New Testament because like, yes. that'll well and that's a pretty easy conclusion to, to draw if mm-hmm. you just read through once you go. That God's mercurial and hateful and jealous right. of the Old Testament, murderous. Yeah. And then Jesus God is, is something totally different. Yeah. Um, that's not what he's doing exactly. No, and he even goes as far as to say that the Old Testament is inspired. Right. And he just says that there's a sense that we need, oh, you've got it written down. But from my memory, that this that we need to understand the context of God relating to the people exactly, at exactly. ancient times. And he was just saying the New Testament is weighted much heavier than the Old Testament and our understanding our life right. as, as followers of Jesus and what we're to and do. And that's not controversial. Any sermon worth, any pastor worth his salt is going to at least attempt to say, okay, there are two covenants. We right. need to understand this and we need to understand our standing in them. Yes. He feels like we've failed at that for some time and that that's driving people away from the faith. So this whole series is about saying he started and he started each one of the three, I believe. At least two of them he started with saying, our goal at this church is to make Christ, reduce barriers that are making Jesus resistible. Okay, so in the same way that in Acts, Peter or James said, to not make it, let's not make it difficult for these Gentiles to follow. He's saying, let's not make it difficult for the world around us to follow this the way as it is now, as it, as it were, was then. And so, one of those things is to say, well, when people start critiquing the Old Testament for this murderous God, well, let's just you know end the argument there by saying, well, we don't actually like that's not our covenant. That covenant's over, um, and and thus seeking believers or talking to believers who are maybe falling away from the faith are going to be like, okay, well, that's a huge weight off my shoulders because the God of Exodus is not a God that I want to be in intimate relationship with. So that's where his heart's 
at. Yeah. And, and I think he's also speaking to a bunch of people who are tend to be in the more in the Baptist stream of things. Or, you know, if you're in the Reformed stream, when you read the Old Testament, you're constantly looking for it to reveal to you who Jesus is and to point you to Jesus. Um, and, and you don't actually, I mean, you weight them the same, but when you're in the more of the Baptist, I'm going to get in trouble with the Baptist, but when, you, when you're in a Baptist stream, you really do weight the Old Testament the same as the New Testament. And, and so when you hand the Bible to somebody, like he says, you're well, saying, this is equal, like in the sense that, you know, Moses's, you know, issues with, you know, circumcision and his refusal to circumcise his own children, um, is the same as you know Paul's journeys and revelations. Well, they're not. They're not the same at all. It's a completely different thing. Yes, it may reveal some stuff about God and His holiness, but it's not the same as the New Testament and where we're called to do and live. Right. And I think that's people get confused when you when you don't have a strong background. You start reading the Bible. You're like, what? What the heck? Like this doesn't make any sense. And so. Well, the- so the logic actually makes sense from what he's saying. He's saying we don't weight them differently in terms of which one is more truth-like. Yeah, that's a good way. Of saying. He's saying they, they both. I believe they're both true. I believe they're both inspired. He didn't talk about inerrancy, but he he said he doesn't talk about inerrancy. Right. He said, but these are both <laughs> these are both completely true books that are divinely inspired. So we weigh we weigh them both on that scale as a starting point. We we weigh them above. You know, C.S. Lewis writing because we don't think he's actually inspired, but we, we think this thing's inspired. However, we need to look at the context, the simple context of the story that's being told, that the Old Testament is about a covenant, an agreement that was was temporary, is now over, and led and was put in place in order to institute the second one, which we are now in and we are, and we are now enjoying. And so let's read it through that lens and understand that, okay... This is all context in the Old Testament that we need to use to build up to uh, what, what we're currently enjoying. Now, that's easier said than actually, you know, pulled apart and really looked at. Right. And well, and I think the other thing you have to take note of, at least when you think about all these things, it has only been probably the last 300 years that people really are, as a whole, be able to pick up a Bible and read it. I've been mm-hmm. reading a book on how just the English Bible got started. And, you know, and so Wycliffe had this view. He, he came to this point where he thought every person was a tenant and chief, like his own tenant and chief, responsible for himself, responsible for his works, and so could not rely on the priest. They couldn't rely on uh, other people to tell him what Scripture said or small bits of translations that were available. They needed to, everyone needed to have a Bible and know what they were supposed to do. So this is a whole new thing. For the first, you know, 15, 1600 years of the church, you're, you're not, you can't read it for yourself. You can't break it down for yourself. You don't know. I mean, so all of a sudden now we, over the last 300 years, are wrestling with all of this text. That's a relatively new thing. It's not, it's not an old thing. Like we think it's old, but it's not, not as a collective people. Well, Um, that's interesting. And he points out, I think in the third one, and I think in all three of them, the Bible did not create Christianity. Right. The, the resurrection did. Yes. That's He's interesting. very big on that. Because I was, as a young kid, handed a Bible, and this is not any knock on my parents or anything, but I was basically handed a Bible, like he said, and and was told, hey, like, this is all true. This is God's word. It's all true. And don't put any books on top of it. I was never told that. <laughs> no, like, I was just obvious. <laughs> you know, it was that. obvious. 
But yeah, I was given this Bible and it said, yep, no, no, this is God's inerrant word and like you should read it. Um, not, not given too much more context. And he says, well, it would be nice if we also said, hey, also like there's these two parts and you're going to see some different conflicting things because the God of the Old Testament really does seem to be different than the God of the New Testament in terms of his, you know, his treatment, his philosophy on enemies, right? Let's just take that as a, for instance, he uses that we're commanded in the Old Testament to pray for our enemies, murder, and, and you know, King David's famously, God just like, kill my enemies and may their Smash their and, babies' heads right, against the like, rocks. Come on, yes. that's ridiculous. And then Jesus says, I'll pray for your enemies. You know? Okay, so what's going on there? Well, um, I guess that context would have been helpful, and that's what I think he's just trying to provide. Right. But, and I mean, if you read a careful reading of the Old Testament, you find a tension between, you find what Jesus is saying, you know, because Jesus does say that summing up the, the law is to love God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that word, in that, that's what the law says. You can find that in Leviticus. You can find that all over the Old Testament. But right. you also find this other, like, sin and God's response to sin and God's response to to just darkness is always this violent action it seems um, mm. and over the overboard like extremely overboard open up some ground and suck a bunch of people into it right. um, even in the New Testament nice and fire yeah, so there is a there's, so there's a there's a nice mo- Old Testament moment in the New Testament um, so there was a lot of other well he said he the part that actually logically broke down was he said, I don't need a book to prop up my faith. He's like, yeah, the story of Noah, that's interesting, and Moses, blah, 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 but I don't need a book to book to prop up. Well, yeah, actually, Andy, you do, because his argument was, I just need the resurrection. Where do you get the resurrection from? You get it from the text. Right. You know, the, the historical, the historicity of the Bible is is helpful, the things surrounding it, and we, we yes, can understand. But, but the central thing that drew you to Christ was the book. So you do need a book Actually, the book propped up your faith, and it, and it, you know, it's the only reason that you, it's still there. Right. Um, so that was kind of in conflict. And another thing that I thought was really interesting was, you know, you talk about Peter and was Peter and James who were preaching in Acts in the streets. No, John. Peter and John. No, I think it is John. Yeah. And the Sanhedrin, or they they arrest him. Like, oh, he's yeah. got a stop. It's John, it's right? It's you know, John's crazy. And they're like, ah, like we can't because of what we've seen, what we've heard. Right. And so Andy's making this really interesting point: how it's like this isn't. It's not because we what we read, and it's not because of what we were told. It's what we saw with our eyes, what we heard with our ears. Right. And so that's a powerful firsthand account that these church leaders were, you know, not able to get away from, and that it inspired their all their work. We don't have that same luck. No. We didn't see it. We didn't hear it. All we have is to take Peter and Paul's and John's and Luke's and Matthew and Mark's word for it. Right. Right? So what he said is in the face of um, Sam Harris and the other atheist, Russell, what's his name? The God Delusion. Roger Dawkins. Russell Dawkins. Dawkins. We'll just go with Dawkins. Dawkins, Yes. He's like, look, they're going to give you these great arguments and really you can't combat them. The only thing you can say is well, here's what Peter would say. Peter would say, look, I saw the resurrection, and yeah. therefore, you know. Well, that's great. That's what Peter could say. We, we can't say that. You know? um, but in the end, when I think about it, like, it's not, 
the scripture informs my experience and pushes me towards my experience, but I have had, in my mind, at least a genuine experience with Jesus. And that's what propels me, because of all I had was scripture. And I, I think, like, the, what Karl Barth says, that there's a testifying when I read scripture, the spirit in scripture, so the spirit that inspires scripture testifies with the spirit in me, and there's something mystical about that when I read scripture, but it's because of that 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 I then proclaim it. There's some kind of mystical thing, just like Peter had with Jesus. I do have with scripture, and with nature, and with you, where I find Jesus speaking very loudly Interesting. to me. So, and, and huh. so, yeah, I don't, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, this, this idea that, Christ, that the Bible is a source of revelation, but it's not the only one. Right. And, you know, I, I, is it in Corinthians? The same spirit testifies deep in our hearts and, you know, tells us that we are his children. Now we call him Abba, Father. So it's testifying independent of our time in the Word. And is that, I was thinking that's in Romans. Romans, yeah. yes. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that in Corinthians. That wouldn't fit. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, that's okay. So it's testifying in an independent kind of mystical experience. Yeah. But then also in the daily regimented reading of the scriptures, including the Old Testament. Yes. You know, and that's where part of me kind of cringes a little bit. And I'm not sure he's saying don't read the Old Testament, but he. Def- he did say definitely spend a lot more time in the New Testament. Yes. And and he, I think, pointed from Exodus to Malachi as this is the t- this, these are the terms of the covenant. So this those um, books we have to really look at kind of very differently and, and maybe weigh them in different ways, not weigh them as less, but certainly view them in context. Well, okay, what are, what are we left to do with Psalms, Proverbs? Right. Well, I mean... In- you can say, like, okay, well, you listen to David and his anguish and the violence that he wants portrayed there and, and, and see Scripture as saying, well, our experience of suffering and a response to God like that is legitimate. But then you can't say that's right. You, you can't say that's the right thing. Because the right thing is to love my enemies, and loving my enemies would not be bashing their heads against rocks. It would actually be praying for their well-being and hoping that God... Interesting. Well, so then this talks about inerrancy. Then I think the more the most conservative viewpoint on inerrancy would be that like David, not only was it what he said, but he was correct in what he said. Right. So like all the Bible, the Bible's inspired and uh, what is what's the verse? Provable, reproved. Yeah. You can, you know, so basically, Second Timothy three sixteen, right? All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, yes, Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Yeah. Yes. Which, as an aside, and I don't know if you have a strong opinion on this, but Christian counseling. So if you go to like a Christian uh, counseling, masters of counseling, you. You can seek a non-licensed route where you don't actually become licensed by the state, but maybe you work in churches and parachurches and provide no, soul you, care. Soul and, care, and you can get licensed by soul care people and get insurance. Yes. Oh, can you do that? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, if you go to a Bible-based one of the more conservatives, then they take the the biblical view on counseling, which right. says it's mostly Adams. Is Adams? Mm-hmm. He's the famous 
guy for most people who would do that. What's his first name? I don't remember. I just know he's a single-worded man. But he says, basically, you don't need to look outside of Scripture to counsel someone. The entirety of it can be used as, as a very comprehensive tool to, you know, cut bone and marrow and speak through situation and counsel someone through any of life's difficulties. Now, there's an, an allowances for mental illnesses, and like maybe we need to get some, you know, medication involved there. But the majority of your issues, like we don't need licensure by the state because we have the scriptures, and that's all we need. Right. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna do something called soul care, then I would have to say at some level yes. Because you're not saying you're saying I'm not doing psychotherapy, mm. and so at some level, but I think all good Christian counseling, regardless if it plunders Egypt, as Larry Crabb would say, meaning you plunder what's good in in uh, psychology and use it, because all good things are from above. Interesting. Uh, or you are more of a person that's like we got to go verse by verse or whatever. Uh, you, it has to be centered on Jesus, and it has to be centered on repentance, because that's so. All counseling has to bring us to the foot of the cross. And okay, so what does that mean? Centered on sin. Jesus. Well, I can. I think I can say something like, um, well, you know, I can use certain verses to apply them to your life. Like, okay, like you're stealing, and I'm like, well, Scripture says you shouldn't steal. Okay, so don't do that. Uh-huh. Now here's the verses, or whatever, or stop coveting, or stop you know adultery because these are rules that you need to apply by. I think centered on Jesus means more trying to develop an understanding of grace, which does become. I think see, I think the whole New Testament is kind of just packed full of psychology. Jesus was definitely very psych- psychological, and so was Paul in the sense of that they're trying to draw you. Anytime you tell somebody that they're not response like they're not actually responsible like they don't have to have guilt and shame for the actions that they did but the fact that cross Christ takes the consequences for them is a is a psychological thing because you're asking you're asking somebody to let go of, of of their pain let go of their shame let go of their guilt and live in freedom that's psychology that's not I mean, so yes, there is psychology built into it. You can't get away with from it. One of my longtime uh, friends, who's uh, was a PhD philosophy student here at the U of A. What's his name? Yeah, I dropped out, and we've you know, but he's very strong atheist, um, extremely leftist on, uh, and I'm not making a political statement, but on like. So he's a, he was in an open marriage, which recently ended, and was a disaster because gender basically wasn't even a, a thing that was to be considered. Like you, you could have sex with anyone you wanted at any time, and um, so his wife would have sex with trans people, and he would go on these trips and try to fornicate with whoever he wanted. And and I always supported them in a loving way, but was like, man, that seems like. And finally, it, it, they just they were like, we're getting divorced. This is not working. And he blamed it on all these other things. But we were talking, and he's actually a guy who, from the first of this year, stopped drinking alcohol. And he was like a five beers a night guy and said, nope, I'm done. And it's like totally changed his life. He's exercising, doing all these things. But he's in therapy with a secular counselor, 
And he said the biggest thing now that is a lifelong battle for him is this shame. And doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in the Creator, but is acknowledging that like the major hindrance in his life is and has been shame. Right. Where is that coming from, and exactly. how do you address it? How do you resolve right. it? Well, right. he, he doesn't have good answers for that, but he's. I, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like you've identified perfectly like you, you're not some sort of cancer doctor who can tell you about your cancer right. And, right. and not actually address it. Because um, shame is obviously well, central. It is central. You seem like you're done. No, I, I am a little done, but not, not because I'm not enjoying this. I just uh, well, we've gone on, huh? We we did more than that thirty minutes. I but I have. There was so much interesting in in those sermons that wasn't like. Let me try to see if I can get this out in 30 seconds or less. Jesus in the resurrection, because he talked about the resurrection as the central thing to our Christian faith. And I thought, well, that's fine. I thought his death was. So why did he have to get raised from the death? He died for us. Well, getting raised was a bonus. Well, okay. But the death means nothing without the resurrection. Does it? I think so, because the man died. A lot of men die. Claimed to be God. That's not, it's not, yes. And he wasn't the only guy to die on a cross. People died on a cross all the time. And he wasn't the only man to get raised. Lazarus was raised. But that's a separate but thing. But Lazarus died again. <laughs> that's true. Uh, <laughs> why did Jesus' body leave the tomb and go to hell? Because our Christian beliefs about the body are that, well, when, you know, when we die, maybe our spirits ascend to heaven or they descend to hell or they go into some you know waiting period um, but but our bodies the carrion this flesh that we have that doesn't matter anymore that's a vessel so why did why didn't Jesus body stay in the tomb and his spirit descend to hell okay they came back and they see Jesus body and they go well he's yeah he's dead and then his spirit could re-inhabitate that body let's say so you think his physical body went down to hell and not just the spirit. Of Jesus. Where did it go? Why did it leave the tomb? Why was the tomb empty? Oh, you mean at that moment? Yeah, when they went. Right. Yeah. So Jesus, whenever the resurrection happens, right, it seems to have been a bodily resurrection. Yes. Whereas we don't believe ours is that necessarily, or maybe it is. At but some point, there's a bodily resurrection. Right, and he jumped the gun. Yeah. He got to experience the bodily resurrection. Perhaps the first person too. Correct. That's interesting to me. But he says to Mary, I haven't been to my father yet. Don't touch me. Really? Remember, remember that in John? When she, she thinks he's the gardener and she just starts crying and weeping. And and then she real, when she realizes who he is, I mean, we could read it, but he says, I haven't been to my father yet. Interesting. There's a lot of interesting things around the resurrection that we don't understand. Well, working in hospice care, we see death, and, and I'm a Christian, I work with a lot of Christians, but when someone dies, their body, we, we burn it, we cremate it, it's, it's, it's gone. gone, we don't, yeah, it's gone. Yeah. And even then, I mean, if you stick it in the ground, it eventually... It's going to decay, it's going to rot. It's just kind of a skeleton. And our belief about our own resurrection is that our spirits go on living. And our bodies. But not those, not those bodies, we get new ones. 
Yes. Jesus did not get a new body, apparently, because he still had the holes in his hands and his wrists. Yes. And that same body was resurrected. Yes. And I think also ours will be similar. But ours are gone. Ours have been cremated. And they'll re- Or decayed. I don't know. I believe they'll reconstruct. But I don't know. But Jesus' body was not... Like, it didn't have time to rot. Right. We assume it wasn't cremated. Yeah. He experienced a bodily resurrection. Yeah. And there's a possibility that his body went to hell. That's the most undertaught principle of theology, that Jesus went to hell and preached. I never was taught that as right. a kid. Henna. Yeah, Gehenna. Or well, somewhere. Was, was it Henna? Well, Hades. 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 Yeah, Hades. Um, yeah, no, and preached to the... To whole bunch of people and if God's outside of time Mm -hmm. perhaps you could see that if Jesus ever if outside of eternity or outside of time in eternity if Jesus ever went to hell that means that he's always been in hell preaching not always but you get what I'm saying I understand it wasn't one moment it wasn't one sermon it was there's a message from Jesus in hell when you're there that you can choose to listen to or not it's possible it's a very, I mean, there's not, hey, what, Peter is the one who mentions it. It's not a huge, a lot of, there's not a lot of information about it. I mean, we know, like, Jesus says to the man next to him, the, the, the thief or whatever, next to him on the cross, that you'll be with me in paradise today. Right. And, you know, which is the, the resting place, I guess. It means a roadside inn, N.T. Wright says in, in the Greek. It's just a place of rest. You'll be in the place of rest with me. So there's something that happens there. Mm-hmm. There's something, there's a waiting period for people prior to Jesus, where Jesus goes and, and speaks to. Right. And then there's what happens in the heavenly realm, which is the realm where God is, you know, where the Father is, whatever that means. But because he's here, he's there. But like, there's some kind of pinpointed relationship between Jesus and and the Father, where he sits down at the right hand of the Father. So there's some image there. Mm-hmm. So there, there are these. There we, are we different build that dimensions. Into the creed. Yes, he we descended build. into hell. Yeah, and on the third day, you say it in this rote way. Oh, and then he descended into hell. Yeah. What anyway. does that mean? Yeah. Well, we did preach on it. You can go hear it. Did you? <laughs> the village. Yeah, we went through the entire Apostles' Creed. Oh, cool. And I did speak on it. Of course, I can't speak a lot about it at this moment off the top of my head. But I did want to say something about death because it's very interesting and you have some experience with this, but Rod was telling us in our elder meeting that when he coded, he actually coded in hospital, he ascended over his body and watched himself thrashing around and he could hear everything that was going on and he could see it all and then he went black and woke up in the hospital room. Um, When was this? A couple years ago? It was probably before the village because he they he had told that's when they found out he was allergic to contrast dye he didn't know that yeah and uh, then Corey who works as a chaplain at St. Joe's said that lots of times when people die he feels their spirit move through his body and he says it's the freakiest thing ever really yeah so there's something happening in the dimensions that we cannot see and well, I know there's something. I mean, the spiritual world is a buzz with stuff, and 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 the early church thought this too. I mean, you remember when Peter was in prison, and then he's freed by the angels, and he shows up and knocks on the door. The servant doesn't even let him in. She runs off because she thinks he, it's just spirit, his spirit. 
they thought he was dead. They believed in the early church that their, your spirit wandered, like it finds its way to, to wherever it's going. But it doesn't just like instantly go there. At least it's the earlier church's thinking. I mean, maybe not in their doctrine, but it's just part of the way that they understood life. Then. So. Here, so speaking of spirit, I had this thought this week, and maybe it's a good closing, potentially an encouragement. We have that that simple phrase: "The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me." Mm-hmm. Isaiah and sixty-one and Luke again, yeah. right? Yeah. Luke five, I think. If that's true about you, if, if that is true, then that's truth beyond what we can even imagine. Because let's take a look at the 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 wording there, like the spirit. Okay, so that means a presence that so, can understand, see, perceive, feel, yet is palpable and is more real than any physical matter. Yes, the spirit of something is upon me. What is the spirit? What what is that spirit of? It's the it's of the sovereign Lord who ordains and put forth and. Um, set in motion and is also sovereign over everything ever. Yes. So that same spirit is upon you? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Well, I, I just listened to my sermon on you know healing the city 1% of the time, and one of the points in making that sermon, that I was like, gosh, man, I need to think about this more, is that if, if we're to be like Jesus, and Jesus is walking into places and saying certain things and doing things that are just kind of blowing our mind, right. and we have that spirit on us, then we we have a power and a and a, a capacity that's way beyond the way we are actually behaving or choosing to act or practice. Yeah, I can't say the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Yeah, I'm going to choose my anxieties today. Yeah, chose. I don't really believe that first sentence. Right. And and there's Christian counseling for it. How do you bring those two things together? But yeah, it's cool. So what are we doing this thing next week for Zen? Oh, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing. I think I'm doing one.